Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, good to be with this morning. I know there's a couple of birthdays. Sandra Martinez, our children's director's birthdays today. If you see her, give her a shout out. I know Kim Beck's birthdays today. I don't see her this morning, but Kim's birthday uh, today too. Hey guys, excited about what God's doing. A reminder, men, calling out the men. We're having dinner, a men's feast next Saturday. Be there. All right, it's going to be amazing. Got a friend named Hung who's going to come share the word with us uh, next week. A brother from L.A., uh, blessed and know him. He'll come to give a word with us uh, next week and going from that. Hey, turn to your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're doing a study through the Gospel of John. John chapter 2 this morning. We're going to continue where we left off in the story as we look at the wedding of Cana last week. And then we're journeying through this book and you've seen Jesus is moving from region to region here. Guys, if you're anything like me and my family, I have four kids, and they come home, and like all of us, our home is our refuge, right? And so we come in, and what do we do? We throw our clothes on the couch. We kick off the shoes. We leave them all over the floor. We're hungry, eat, and then we throw our dishes in the sink, and we kind of do what we do in our house, right? If you have four kids, they do the same thing. Wherever they go, there's a mess. I have a daughter that gets food out of the cupboard but never closes the cupboards. I don't know what that is. But at some point after a while, that house is a mess. And my wife and I or whatever, we're like, stop. Enough is enough. Put your stuff in your room. Clean up the dishes. Do everything you need to do to clean this house. You ever had those moments, moms and dads? All right. Well, Jesus is going to have a moment in his house. And he comes into the temple and he sees that it's a mess. It's a mess. And he, in the story, he says, enough's enough with how you messed up my house. And he's going to address that mess by turning over tables and bringing out a whip and using his authority to clean up his house. Guys, on a personal note, when our house is messy inside, God will come and clean your house too. He'll come and stir things up in your life. He'll come and stir things up because he doesn't want to leave you like you are. He wants to clean some things within. And so the spirit will move to bring conviction. And sometimes the things we're going eternally and externally that are happening in our lives is just Jesus saying, I got to stir up your house a little because it's messy. And enough's enough. God never wants to leave us like we are, though he's gracious enough to work with us. He never wants to keep us like we are. He wants to clean some things up in our own house. And that's really the point that Jesus is coming here in the story, right? Jesus has left Cana of Galilee. We saw the wedding, the miracle of the wedding, and he does. He turns the water to wine, and the servants get blessed with that. And then he moves from, from Cana to a place called Capernaum, right? It's another city. And he says him, his brethren, his, his mom are going there, but they didn't stay there for a long time, it says. 
because they had to go to Jerusalem. They had to go to Jerusalem because it was the Passover season. There was a celebration that needed to happen. And so we we're seeing that here in the story. Because what happens when he comes into Jerusalem and he comes into the temple and he sees the mess in the temple with the merchandisers, they, they made his house a place of commerce rather than a place of communion with God. They, they, they begin to make his house a place of profit rather than a place of prayer. They, they begin to hinder the people coming to worship God by putting these great obstacles for selfish gain in their ways. And so Jesus says, it's time to clean house. It's time to clean up the mess. It's house cleaning. That's the title of my sermon this morning. House cleaning. Let's read the passage. and We're going to get into it this morning. Starting at verse 13. Now, the pastors of Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of the cord, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered what, that what was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said, what signs do you show us since you do, do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Then the Jews says, it has been 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scriptures and the words which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name and when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And Father, we thank you for the blessings of the reading of your word. So we want to honor you by honoring your word this morning. And Lord, I pray as we speak... There are hearts and our minds we open to receive what you have for us this morning. Father, we want to feast on the bread of your word. But Father, we ask your spirit would teach us that Father, you would commit to us because we've committed to you. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. We're looking at a couple things about house cleaning. And here's the, here's the first thing, guys. Jesus will clean our house. Right, Jesus will clean our house. Because what would happen here is Jesus is entering into the temple and what was beginning to happen is they didn't have reverence for God's house. The word reverence means to, is defined to show respect for someone or something. Jesus had a passion for reverence. He had a passion for his house. But it's very interesting. You see kind of two different sides of Jesus in this chapter two, right? In chapter two, he's this, man who went to a wedding, wedding and he, you see the joy and you see this peace and he, he's hearing his mother's request and he, he brings this miracle. You see this kind of patient and, and loving Jesus. The joy of Jesus and the celebration of the wine. But in this story, 
you see almost the fierceness of Jesus. The, the man, the manhood of Jesus, the, the judgment of Jesus. We begin to see two sides of who Jesus is in the story. So we don't find him sitting at a table turning water to wine. We find him at a temple where he's sitting at the table at a wedding feast. He's turning the tables in the courtyard. See, there was a joy at the wedding feast and judgment at the table. And so we see the two characters of God. Think of a coin, two sides of God in some sense, two types of God. And guys, I want you to understand that sometimes we love, we like the loving Jesus, the giving Jesus, the gracious Jesus, right? Jesus is love. But sometimes we have to see the other side of his justice and his judgments and his seriousness of who he is. Jesus isn't my homeboy. He's my God. Got to keep the holiness of God holy. Okay? We, sometimes we brought God down to us instead of us going to be like God and be in the image of God. Right? And so what you see is Jesus enters into the temple and what you see is what happens when people become religious people. We see that in verses 13 and 14. Now the pastor of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers were doing business. He's telling us what the season is. It's the Passover season, right? And multitudes would have been coming to Jerusalem to, to practice the Passover. Jesus probably would have made this trip often because it was mandated or commanded that when you're 12 years and older, you would go to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. So Jesus would often would have been made this trip to Jerusalem. He knew the paths well. He knew the ceremony well. He knew what was, what was required of him to go to this Passover, right? And so Jesus coming to the Passover, and in the Gospel of John, Gospel of John, you see he does that four times through this gospel. In fact, the last time he'll become the Passover lamb. What is the Passover? The Passover is a practice that was established back in the book of Exodus chapter 12. You remember the story when God's people were in slavery and Moses, the deliverer, comes and he, he's going to deliver the people and he faces Pharaoh and there's 10 plagues. But the last one was the death of the firstborn. And what was happened is that God commanded to take a lamb and you take a little baby lamb and to, to kill it and take the blood and put it on the doorpost outside your house. So when the angel of death came, it would pass over the house and the firstborn would not die. It was a, a picture of the cross. It was a picture of what Jesus would do later on the cross. We're, we're coming to the Passover season. You realize that? We, Wednesday, we call, some people call it Ash Wednesday or the beginning of Lent, which is 40 days before Easter Sunday of the resurrection. Our Passover is what we celebrate Easter, Right? And just like they come in and they, he comes into the temple and sees people practicing these wares, practicing all these things in the temple, we're going to know there's going to be people coming from all over the city to church on Easter Sunday. They only show up on Easter and Sunday only, Christmas and Easter only, right? They're making their, their religious walk, their religious tradition to come to church to, to pay homage on Easter Sunday. And the only stories they know about Jesus is the Christmas story and the Easter story and nothing in between. So we have religious people that could come the same way. And they were commanded to, in the Passover, to sacrifice the lamb. But we put our faith in Jesus, who we understand in John chapter one, that he was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
He becomes our Passover lamb. And by faith, he passes over our sin. That's why the apostle Paul, who was a murderer, uh, a religious man who was a murderer and wanted to stop the church, could write in Romans chapter 3, verses 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation, as a sacrifice by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, his goodness, his justice. Because of his forbearance, that's patience. Because of his patience, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. We have a God that passes over our sins. He doesn't overlook it. He paid for them but he overpasses over them. He paid the penalty for the sin, for the wages of sin is death. He, he paid that price. But what was happening as Jesus was coming into the temple, they were misrepresenting God in the temple. Remember, the temple had four courtyards. Here they're coming to the courtyards of the Gentile, the Gentile courtyard, Right? There was a Gentile for the, for the Jews and then for the men of Israel and the priests. They each had a courtyard. Here was the courtyard of the Gentiles. Anybody could come, men and women could come to this courtyard. And when he comes there, the, the animals were present. He saw oxen and sheep, he saw doves. He saw all these animals. The reason those animals were there was because oftentimes when you would come to bring sacrifices, if you brought your own animal, most of the time they would say, those animals aren't good enough. So you got to buy some of these animals because they're without blemish and they were basically ripping off the people to be able to get money if they bought their animals. And that's why, think about this mass quarry. It must have been big with oxen and all these animals that you can get to bring to the temple to sacrifice for your sins. And so they were selling these oxen, these animals for sacrifice. They also had the money changers there that there at that time was a temple tax that you would have to pay. And it says everybody came from different places around, from Babylon. All the people came into Jerusalem. And so they would bring their money, right? Their Roman money, not their Jewish money. And so they would have to come. But because most of that money time had the, the picture of Caesar or an unknown God or whatever was on it, they couldn't give that to the temple, so they had to do an exchange rate and pay, go to the money changers, exchange their pay, this pagan money or this Roman money to get Jewish money in order to pay the temple tax. And what were they doing is they were charging these high costs for money exchange, currency exchange, up to 12 to 25% is what they're doing. There was a racket going on. There was a being there's corruption and, and there's desecration in some sense of the temple and God is saying, whoa, what are you doing? Guys, I'm going to tell you something. We could watch the church today and there could be corruption in the church. We just got to turn on the TV and see some of that. If you just sow into my ministry, you're going to be blessed. Come on, come on. Come on now. Hey, you know what? I need $8 million to get my jet. Because God wants me to have a jet. Be careful which, if, you, if you put your hand right on the TV, God's going to bless you. Hallelujah, God's going to bless you. Guys, be careful what you're watching. Jesus said, guess what? I want to feed the sheep. I don't want to fleece the sheep. But they were fleecing the sheep here is what they were doing. They were being an obstacle in the way of people coming into the presence of God and worshiping God. I'm not a liar. The, the, the Bible says in the last days there's going to be an apostasy. There's going to be a falling away. There's going to be a misrepresentation of the biblical Jesus that we read in the scripture. 
and that will hinder people, that will fall people. That's why the church has a reputation. Oh, all the people do is want their, all the church does is want the people's money. Where does that come? Because it's a misrepresentation. Right? Yes. We believe in offerings here. We believe in tithes and offerings. We have an offering box in the back if you want to give to the ministry here to support the ministry. And God commands us to support the work of God. Come on, come on. But we're not, I'm not going to sit here and manipulate you for your money. It's, it's an act, an expression of your love for God. It's an expression of our worship when we give here. When we, when we do the, the work of God of these, these money changers. See, we never charge, guys, today is gonna, we're going to have a lunch after church. We want you to stay and eat with us. We never charge you for that. We throw festivals out, right? We throw the San Diego Fest. We, we blow the Hope Toy Drive. All that costs money when there's 7,000 people here and you got to feed them and you give them toys and gifts and you bless them. But ultimately, we're giving the gospel out. Come on, come on. But that costs, but we never say, oh, you want a gift? That'll be uh, $3.99 at the door, please. You want to eat? Okay, that's uh, $2 a plate, please. I'm so honored and blessed that Pam and Gilbert have been making a meal for you for today to bless you. Let me tell you their story a little bit. Pam and Gilbert were struggling. They, they were walking with the Lord when they came and they were struggling with addictions. They were struggling with their own issues. They came to the crusade or, or San Diego Fest, community fest in the park. They saw an introduction. Wow. And then they came to our Hope Toy Drive. We never asked them for money. They came and they started getting to our church. Then they came to Christ. Gilbert hasn't used in over two years and drank in over two years. And now they're making you lunch. That is the work of God. That is what God wants to see in their transformation, that God had done something in their marriage, in their life, and, and God's doing this great work in their life, and we're blessed to see the fruit of it, and you get to eat because they make some, they make some great Mexican food. It's a bomb. I think that's what they're making today for you to eat, to have communion, to have community after church. The, the problem here was the greed. The greed was here in the temple. Right? For the love of money was driving their, their money changers. They were in bed, they were doing embezzlement in God's house. And Jesus saw the corruption of the people. And they were misusing the people for their own selfish gain. For their own selfish gain. That's what was going on. And so Jesus said he had to, to clean some house. But sometimes there needs to be a deep cleaning. Sometimes there needs to be a deep cleaning. Come on. You know, when you have a carpet and you spill something on the carpet. Just rubbing it doesn't take it away. You got to bring out the spray. You got to bring out the, you know, all this stuff. And you got to rub it really hard to get some deep cleaning here. Well, Jesus had to do some deep cleaning in this house. And so we see that in verses 15 to 16. But when he had made a whip of cord, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changer's money and overturned the table. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father a house. A house of merchandise. Mm. Premeditated cleaning. What was going on here? He saw what was going on and he said he made a whip or a scourge. Right? Ooh. Where do you think he got that? Think about this one. 
They're walking the temple, and there's all these animals. I could only imagine there's probably ropes. There's probably stuff around that Jesus probably grabbed and put it together. That he's now coming in. Now, look, listen, you see this picture of Jesus coming in, and, he, and he's, he's coming in with a, a whip. And what is he doing? He's, he's really driving out the animals. He's driving them out. He's causing this, this disruption in the house, and he's... Get these animals out. Get this. And I love this. I, I think about this. You think that maybe he's like going crazy, like rustling cattle. But then he says, but the doves, take them away too. Why? Because doves were birds that needed to be cared for. He wasn't like he was out of control. He stopped for a moment and said, make sure those doves are taken out. Though he's causing a ruckus and then he's turning over tables and money's flying everywhere. And I can only imagine these money just like, whoa, grab, running to the floor and grabbing the money and, and doing all oh, animals are moving everywhere. This is the scene that's happening in the temple. And yet we see Jesus's righteousness and his justified anger that he's displaying in the courtyard. <laughs> This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Come on, if you're going to go out with a bang, you might as well go out letting know people who you are. Because remember, he didn't do that at the wedding, but he does it at the courtyard. Right? He's going public with his ministry. But he thought carefully about his actions. Okay. Why? Because he's fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 where he would go into the temple and confront the exploitations of the wages of God's people and purifying the temple. He's confronting the injustice and exploitation of people. Ah. The church needs to do that too. Confront the injustice and exploitations of people, right? There are several times where Jesus displayed his anger, right? Mark chapter 3, Jesus angered the hardness of people's hearts in Mark chapter 10 he's angry with his own disciples when they wouldn't let the children come unto him he was angered he was, he's angry here as he's turning over the table because he has a reason to be angry there's justified anger guys there's times where we are justified in our angers there's times when there's injustice or wrong done to us, our family situation or culture, whatever it is. And there's a time that we need to be angry. But Paul writes what? But sin not. Do not let the sun sit down on your anger. Don't let that anger turn to bitterness and rage. There's a time period on that anger. Because he knows the power when anger becomes poison. It could become murderous. Right? He was angry because they were hindering the people to come to God. What is in the church that we do to hinder people from coming to know God? You know, our traditions, our ways. What, what are we telling people to do? Sometimes we could put up roadblocks in the church. In the church. Yeah. Now, we, we, he's, he's upset with what's going on. And so he begins to turn the tables on them. He begins to throw them out of the temple. Jesus didn't mess around, right? Come on, come on, come on. He didn't manage the sin. He didn't pacify the sin. He dealt with it uh, immediately. And when the holiness of God and his worship was at stake, Jesus responded. In 
the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, I love that. It's one of my favorite books. So Nehemiah was a man who came to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that were destroyed because of Babylon and the exile. And a few years prior to that happening, Ezra and Zerubbabel and all of them built the temple. We'll get that in a moment. But they build in. So what happens, but when they're building the wall, Tobiah and Sambalot are two Jews that were coming against Nehemiah from hindering them building the wall that God had commanded them to rebuild this walls of Jerusalem. You see these walls today when you go to Jerusalem. We're going to go to Jerusalem in October. If you want to join us, please come. We're going to, you see those walls today. But after the wall was completed in 52 days, Nehemiah goes back and he's a cupbearer to the king. Or deserves, he's a cupbearer. He's going back to his job. But over a period of time, over a period of time, there, there was a, a priest named Elibashef. And he allowed Tobiah to move into some of the storehouses and some of the things in the house of God. This is the very man that was opposing Nehemiah's work and God's work. Let him come in and live in the storehouses, live in things. And so when Nehemiah came back to check on the work, he saw Tobiah in the house. And you know what he did? He went in there and he grabbed all his stuff and he threw him out. Threw his clothes, threw him out. And he confronted the priest and said, what are you doing? This is my house. This is my place. Jesus is coming and saying, get out. Clean house. I'm cleaning house. It's funny that this story is told twice in the Gospels, meaning... He did this at the beginning of his ministry and he did it at the end of his ministry. There are two times where he comes and turns the, the things over the temple. What does that tell you is that people haven't learned their lesson. People get cleaned up and then they go back to their mess. They go back to their greed. They go back to all that junk. Be careful when God cleans your house and then you go back to the mess. Be careful when God does this great work in you and then you go back to your vomits. Be careful of those things. Because that's exactly what happens in the temple. Guys, there's an, when we come to faith, there's an eternal cleansing that takes place. We have been made righteous. We take on his righteousness, right? It first starts with conversion, and then, it's, then the cleaning begins, right? You got to own the house before you begin to clean the house. You, know, you got to have occupancy of the house. God gives us, by faith, his Holy Spirit in us, and he comes in and begins to to clean our house. The Holy Spirit begins to bring conviction, not condemnation, for therefore there's no condemnation for in Christ Jesus. He begins to bring conviction. What is conviction? Conviction is the process by which God shows us our mess. He says, I want you to address this issue. I want you to clean this up in your house. Come on, come on. That's the work of God. God is not condemning us. He's cleaning us. He's, he's working that thing. He's bringing out the peroxide. It might sting a little bit, but he's cleaning, cleaning out the, bringing the peroxide and the wounds and the hurts and all that's going on. In order to be able to do the work that he needs to do in us. Because today we no longer have a physical temple in Jerusalem. This is the temple. This is the temple he lives in. This is the temple he, he dwells in. Our bodies are the temple of God and he resides in us. And sometimes what is that thing that we need to immediately need to remove? What is that thing that God needs to cleanse in us? God, what are these things that you need to take away from us? What are these things you need to remove out of our lives? 
just be honest. Go, hey, God, I'm, I'm struggling with this in me. This is what I, I'm struggling with. I'm, I'm battling this temper of mine, this anger that I can't seem to get a hold of. God, I'm battling this, this doubt. I'm battling this lust. I'm battling this addiction. God, I'm calling upon you. My house is battling it. Please, Lord, come and do extreme old makeover in me. Lord, come and do this work in my house. Why? Why is Jesus doing this? Because Jesus guarded his father's house. Look at verse 17. And his disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house has been eaten up. The disciples remembered Psalm 69.9 that he's quoting. They're remembering the scriptures. Jesus had a passion for his father's house. Verse 16, he references him as, as kind of revealing his sonship. My father, I'm a son. And I'm protecting my father's house. I wanted to protect the integrity of my father's house. New Vision family, New Vision church. This this church sits on a hill. If on a clear day, you could see all the way to, to the ocean. You could always see the Coronado Bridge. You could see far from here. It's up on a hill for a purpose. So people can look at that. Some way, New Vision is a refuge. It's, it's a place to come where people can be healed. It's a place to come where people can be refreshed. We are a light on a hill for all to see. Because it's a refuge for the hurting. It's a place of healing for the sick. A place of reconciliation and restoration. We want to keep the integrity of the house. When you build a house, you have an inspector that comes to make sure you're building it correctly to keep the integrity of the house so it doesn't crumble on you. Jesus and his spirit is keeping the, he's kind of the the, the guy that comes and checks the house to keep the integrity of our house. That it doesn't crash in, it doesn't crumble. That's the work of the spirits in us. Remember when when Philip and Nathaniel approached Jesus, they said, now here's the genuine son of Israel, a man completely with integrity, talking about Jesus. That's how they describe Jesus. May we be a church with integrity, without deceit. I'm not saying we're perfect, man. Ministry is messy. People's lives are messy. I'm not talking about the mess here. We're going to deal with mess. We love to deal with mess in this place. We all have a mess. If you're perfect, you're not messy, man, you're in the wrong place because we're messy people. We're messy people. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about authenticity. We're messy. We got, we're messy people. Do your work in us, but we want to have integrity in the house. So when people come, it's like, oh yeah, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing, but do something different. May we keep the integrity of God's house and the purpose of his house. Why? Because the church has three purposes here. The church is for exaltation, for worship. We're here to worship God, the one we honor, to love him and to, to all of us. It's, it's for edification. It's for, for building up, to building up the body and strengthening the body, encouraging the body, refreshing the body. And last is for evangelism, for sharing the gospel and telling people about the one who changed us. That's, that's what the purpose of the church is. That's just my first point. We got a couple more here. We're going to be here all afternoon. So he's going to clean house. Here's the second thing. Jesus will build our house. 
Like Jesus will build our house. 20 years ago, Julie and I had the privilege of doing an add-on in the back of our house. We had this little house. We, we decided to put an add-on forever. It's done construction for those construction workers. You know, when you have to build, we did a two-story, so we wanted to, you have to lay the foundations. You have to build the frames to be able to lay concrete to lay out a foundation. And what you have to put in the concrete is rebar. Rebar is what holds it all together so it keeps the concrete strong from cracking. But when you do an add-on, what we had to do is that we had to attach, our existing building had to attach to the add-on, which means that we had to take, drill some holes into the current foundation. And then we had to stick, stick some rebar in certain parts of the house. And then we took this epoxy. And actually it was these two large containers that had two different types of chemical that went into one of those guns that you shoot to squeeze in. And what happens is these two chemicals would come together and merge into one, you shoot it into the hole and there's a synergistic effect. They mix together and you shoot this epoxy into the hole where the rebar is and it, it dries really hard like cement so that rebar can stay and it holds in place. And then when you, when you build the rest of the house, it connects into the rebar and they become one house, but they're sturdy and they're strong. Listen, when you look at the gospel here, Jesus is going to respond how he's going to build a house. The gospel is the glue that's going to hold everything strong. Is there synergistic effect? What's happened is if you read the scriptures here in, in Jesus, in, in, in John chapter 2, verse 18 through 22, and verse 18 says, so the Jews answered, said, what sign do you show us since you do these things? He says, I'm going to show you the resurrection. I'm going to show you my resurrection. Then I'm going to die and be buried and resurrected. And it says that Jesus said, I rose from the, I rose from the grave. But other scriptures say what? It says that the Father raised them from the grave. Then the Holy Spirit raised them from the grave. You'd have the Trinity involved in the resurrection. The Trinity was the epoxy that chemicalized and just had a synergistic effect that hold everything together. And that's the glue that will build our house. That's the glue that will keep it strong. He can't be broken. He holds it together here. And so right away, we see here when he's building our house, what Jesus stirs up questions about who he is in verse 18. So the Jews answered, what sign do you show us since you do these things? This is crazy to me because think about what's going on, the context. Animals are running everywhere. Tables are turned over. People are grabbing money and they ask him a question, by what sign do you do this? <laughs> that to me is like, are you guys, do you even know what's happening? Right? This chaos and you're asking for a sign? But his disruption stirred up a lot of questions. Right? In the midst of the chaos, they were looking for a sign. Jews were asking, by what do you have in causing trouble in our house? By what authority do you do this? Show us a sign. He's going to show them a, a sign in a moment, Right? Right? Later, he says, I'll show you a sign. How about the sign of Jonah, who's in the belly of three days in a whale? That's a sign we read later. But I think that was the wrong question. The question should be, what? They should ask, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Maybe that's the question you need to ask by your home when it's in turmoil. When there's craziness going on. God, why is this happening? Maybe we have to begin to ask questions of ourselves and our homes and our marriage and our relationships. God, give me revelation of why this is happening, why this is disrupting. Maybe God's just trying to get our attention. 
Maybe, maybe God's just stirring it all up because you ain't listening. Some of you have been hardheads. Some of you are like the Jews, you're a stiff-necked people. And God says, you know what? I can't bring out the little swatter. I got to bring out the rod. You know I mean, I got I to gotta stir it up so I can get their attention. I got to come with a bang. I got to bring out the bounce. You know, some of us, we've been warned, right? I remember, guys, I know school's different today, but maybe you guys remember when we grew up, they used to spank us in school. Right? Come on now. I don't know about you. Today, we live in a soft... Oh, be careful. Might offend somebody. You know what I mean? I had to, I had to grab my ankles. They had to paddle with the holes in them. You know what I'm talking about? Come on now. And I'm like, whoa. Wait. And then they hit you in the bottom. They hit you behind the legs. Because we had to get our attention. Some of us had to, we, God has to do what he needs to do to get your attention. You know what I mean? I don't care. My dad used to tell me to go out and get the belt. He didn't get the belt. He's like, you go get the belt. Come on, pops. No, you go get the belt. Listen, God will do what he needs to do to stir you up. And then you begin to say, God, what's going on here? Good, let's have a conversation now. Let's have a conversation now, right? And then Jesus is going to give them a prophetic sign in a moment. What is he going to say here, right? They wanted a miracle. Many of us want miracles to believe in Jesus. God, if you only did this, I'll follow you. God, if you get me out of this, I'll do this with you, right? Show yourself true if you do this. But let me tell you something. There's miracles all around us. You guys are a miracle in this room right here. How much more miracles do you need but the lives have been transformed? There's miracles there, right? Jesus was performing miracles all the time and people still didn't see him because he was, they're going to later going to believe because of the miracles in the end of the chapter, right? Remember, remember uh, Luke chapter 16? We know the story of Lazarus and the rich young man. A wealthy man, poor man, poor man's begging at the gate of Lazarus. Lazarus wouldn't give him nothing, wouldn't care for him, wouldn't have compassion on him. Both of them die. One goes to the bosom of Abraham, that's heaven. One goes to Hades, that's hell. Rich man who didn't care for people went to hell. Poor man went to heaven. And we read the story. This is why hell is real, because it talks about him being tormented in Luke 16. It's a real place. It's a real story because Jesus used names. And then Jesus and the Lord and the rich man have a conversation. And he says, hey, can you go back and tell my brothers that this is a real place, that they would believe this is a real place? They would believe. And the Lord says, even if a man raises from dead, they still will not believe. Jesus raises from the dead and people still don't believe. What is it that you need to believe this morning? Because I know Jesus is calling you. Right? But Jesus' resurrection is the key to our building. Look at 19 and 22. Jesus answered, said to them, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. Here, Jesus is what? He's given a prediction. He's proclaiming his purpose, right? This body is going to be destroyed. I'm going to die. I'm going to be here. I'm going to rise again, right? He's going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. And I will, raise it. I will raise it up, he says, here. He's speaking spiritually, their understanding naturally, right? What are you talking about? How can that be? We've been building this year. 
this temple for 46 years. This temple was built by Zerubbabel and Joshua and Ezra, right? And then Herod, the king, renovated the work of Zerubbabel team in 20 BC. And Jesus' account with them was about 26 to 28 AD. So that's about 46 years. And the temple didn't get completed till 64 AD and would later be destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. So they had been doing this work on the temple, this remodel of the temple, building had been doing on. So they're like, what are you talking about? You're going to tear down this temple and rebuild it. It's been taking us 46 years. He's talking about his body or the temple, because the temple is eternal. We've been building, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven, Paul writes. But Jesus is speaking about his physical body. So I want to tell you some. The natural man and the carnal man cannot understand spiritual things. Jesus is speaking about his death, burial, and resurrection, and they were thinking about the physical. Some of you might be here today, and you're hearing my teachings, you're hearing my words, and they make no sense to you. They're confusing to you. The language doesn't make sense. I might not even be speaking the language that you might understand. You're the one that's hearing the truth, but you never come to the knowledge of the truth. Right? We're going to look at chapter 3 next time. Remember, what is Nika's demon comes to Jesus? And he goes, no, you're a man of God. We know if you're of God by the miracles you do, by the signs you do. And Jesus says, you must be born again and enter the kingdom. And right away, what does Nika do? What are you talking about born again? You want me to go up on my mother's womb again? <laughs> see, see. Some of us think like that. We think in the natural. So we don't understand spiritual things. To understand spiritual things, you need to be born of the Spirit to understand understand spiritual things. These Jews who knew the Word, who knew the Old Testament, didn't understand spiritual things. And so there was spiritual blindness that kept them from seeing Jesus for who He was. In fact, Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8, he goes, however, we speak the wisdom among those who are mature, those who believe, yet not the wisdom of the age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, right? The religious leaders, the people, for they, if they had known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. If they would have known who Jesus was and they would have had to understand the wisdom of heaven, they would have never put Jesus on the cross. But they couldn't see it, right? Listen, Jesus is building your house by building your faith through reminders, right? He, he brings back regulations. It says in verse 11 at the way to Canaan, it says that after the miracles, the disciples believed. In verse 17, it says, after hearing Jesus' words, the disciples remembered the scriptures. There was some affirmation. And now in verse 22, it says, after his resurrection, they remembered these very words. When they're standing on the beach after Jesus' resurrection, going back to fishing, and they saw him, oh, remember what you said. Remember what you said. Why do we do communion every week? Because we need to remember what he did. Because we're forgetful people. And lastly, guys, Jesus wants a committed house. Yes. 
Jesus wants a committed house, right? Listen, we are living in times where we're buying things in large quantities, right? We shop at Costco, we shop at Sam's Club, right? We eat food and we that we supersize. We drink 32 ounce drinks, right? And we should. <laughs> <laughs> but we have turned the tables a little bit. I've cut back to care for our health a little bit, right? We watch our weight by not eating by eating lighter portions. We drink sugar free Coke. We even have light drinks. We even have light beer. Though this thinking is good for our physical health, it's not with our spiritual health. We don't need Jesus' light. We don't, we don't just believe in Jesus. Jesus is everything. Our life is found in Jesus. In him we move and have our being. And that's why Jesus is saying in verse 23 to 25, that's the message he's bringing in this verses, right? You believe, but you do not commit. And I know what you're about. In verse 23, we read that many believed in him. Look what it says this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, he had been there all week now. Passover was the event I told you, but there was also a feast of unleavened bread that they would celebrate another feast. And what they'd do is they'd make bread without leaven because they, the leaven represented wickedness. You had to get the wickedness out. And for the leaven, he says, I'm cleaning house. I'm trying to get the, wick, the, the, the unleavened and the wickedness out of the house. But he says here, now, when he was in Jerusalem, the pastor during the feast, he said, many believed. In fact, the word, Greek word believe is pistua, which means to believe or to trust. And it's really a word they use for saving faith. And some says that's the word that they use there. But we're facing a situation here, right? They were putting their faith, I don't think necessarily in Jesus, but in the fact that Jesus was doing miracles. That Jesus was almost like their genie. Like Jesus was doing all these things to help them. And so they put their faith because of the miracles. They put their faith in Jesus. There was no maybe fruit of repentance that was going on in their life. There was no transformation that was going on. Now, either they people that came to faith and, and they were they came to faith and they're those that come to faith and, and their faith is only ankle deep. Oh, come on, come on. They're only ankle deep, right? Remember when you had your little kids when they were young and you took them to the beach and they'd go to the water, right? And then the waves would come up and they would run away from the water and then they'd go by and then they'd go back into the water and they would only go ankle deep. That's some of your faith today. You guys are only going ankle deep and then you run away from you. I can only get so much of Jesus, right? I can only get so much. I, you know, I can't get fanatical. Man, people out there in the football stadiums, Raider fans are raided up, chasing up and bolts on, head, things all over themselves, right? Come on now. But there was no, no food in them. You know, I know many of you, some of you have trust issues. I know that. Right? You've been wounded. Maybe you prayed for God for something and God didn't answer. Maybe you prayed for a sick relative and he didn't get well. Maybe you needed financial help and you didn't think God came through. Because your faith is predicated on signs. Your faith is predicated on signs. Now, some of them maybe even put their faith because of fire insurance. I'm just, I'm just going to believe. Yeah, I believe, right? I want to go to heaven. And that's the extent of their commitment, right? Guys, let me explain it this way. Remember when God was trying to draw my attention, trying to get me, man? My friends took me to a, a, a Christian concert. Never been to a Christian concert. They took me to a Christian concert. Now, I'm drinking. I'm partying. I'm doing my stuff as a kid. And all my homies are all there. So that my friends are like, okay, yeah, let's go. So we went. 
and they play it, and then they give a gospel message. Oh, man, I want Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is cool. I go to the altar, right? Yeah, I prayed the prayer. Did what I was supposed to do. I jumped through the hoops. My home is we all left that conscious. And, man, we're excited. We all stepped to Jesus. Let's go get some beer and wine and marijuana. And we drove in a van and we went out and we we're smoking and drinking. We're celebrating that we got Jesus. That's a true story. Look it. I believed in it, but I didn't commit to it. I put my, I, yeah, I didn't say no to Jesus, but Jesus wasn't living in me and transforming me and changing me. I didn't submit to the Jesus of the scriptures. I just submitted to the moment. Some of you just submit to the moment, but you have no clue who Jesus is. And that's, that's where he's drawing. He goes, guess what, man? Many believe because of the signs. But Jesus said, I, I didn't believe in them. I didn't commit to them. God had a discernment. And this is heavy, guys. Look at it. But Jesus, said, Do not, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He had no need that anyone should testify men, for he knew was in man. God knows, God knows the heart of men. He knew who was committed and who wasn't. He knew their nature, their disposition, their affection, their design, their true character. In fact, the word believe in verse 23 is the same Greek word to commit in verse 24. Jesus didn't commit to light, superficial faith. He did not invest in them because he knew who they were. You know all that? And so he didn't reveal himself more. He didn't read more of himself to them because of their immaturity. Because they were believers, but not necessarily followers. Let me tell you something. All disciples are believers, but not all believers are disciples. says this, all disciples are believers, but not all believers are disciples. And, and you can't come to me and say, well, you don't know my brother and what he's gone through. He's had a rough life. He has trust issues. God, we all been through a lot of stuff. We're all equal at the cross. We all need Jesus. Some have gone through worse things than others. I, I confess that. We've had different experiences and different woundedness and different hurts, but we all got to come to the cross. But we got to come to the cross. Hallelujah. Because Jesus promised, if you draw near to me, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe in him and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder for those who trust in him. Now, let me close with this here. Jesus had an inner circle. Come on. Peter, James, and John were part of the inner circle. He had 12, but he had three. Come on, come on. He only showed to the three, but what, some things that he never showed to the rest. Yes. He only had, he showed mature things when they went to the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, Peter, and James, and John were up there, but the rest weren't in there. Why did Jesus invest in those three, but not the rest? Maybe he knew who Judas was, but he was still among the brethren. All right. There were things that, guys, as you commit to him, there are things he's going to show you that he's not showing everybody. There's intimacy issues that he will reveal if you invest in him to sit at his feet and come to draw near to him. There, you're missing out on great blessings and intimacy and power and things that he wants to show you if you take a moment to be with him. Preach and teach, Pete. 
He's revealing his deity here. God knows what you're all about. Don't say only God can judge me. Be careful. <laughs> because he will. That's for Tupac. Tupac said it, but God, Tupac, Tupac said it, but Tupac stood before Jesus. Listen, listen, listen. Sometimes we can put more trust in Tupac's word than we put in Jesus' word. So we got to be careful. He's, he's laying a proclamation here. So I leave you with these three things this morning, guys. Number one, Jesus, Jesus will clean your house. All right? Jesus will clean your house, right? What is it that you need to remove out of your house? What is it that you're asking God to take away? God, take away those things like you helped carry away the doves because you were gentle on that. Come on. Here's the second thing, guys. Jesus will build our house on the foundations of the gospel. What is it that you believe? What is it that you believe? The gospel is the foundation. That's the glue. Lastly, Jesus will invest in those who invest in him. What's keeping you from committing, you're fully committing yourself to him? What is it that's getting in the way of that? It may be something in your life you're not willing to get rid of. God says, I want to replace it for even greater, but you're holding to the old when God got something new for you. But you're stuck on the old. And God's got a greater for you if you just commit to him. As the worship team comes, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings. We thank you for the work that you're doing. Lord, I thank you for your word, even though it might sting a little bit. It awakens us. And Lord, I just pray this morning, Lord, awaken our spirit, awaken us to draw near to you, Lord, awaken us to our own evaluation of our commitment to what it means to follow you, what it means to be a disciple. And Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, for your people, that the washing of your word have gone on the people, that the, the truth of your gospel has gone out. The word has been sanctifying because your prayer in John 17 was said, sanctify them with your word for your word is truth. Hallelujah. And so your truth has gone forward, Lord. I pray that the seed will fall on good soil. And I'm praying for those that are here this morning, Lord, that they would draw near to you. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never made that commitment to Jesus or maybe you're trying to figure out who this Jesus is, I'm just asking and giving to you. If, you. if that is you this morning and you want to say, I just need Jesus and he needs to remove some stuff in my life, just raise your hands so I can pray for you this morning. I see you. I see you. I see the hands raised. I see. It's just between you and the Lord right now. You're saying, God, there's some things in my life that you just got to remove that I'm struggling with. Here it is. I'm bringing it to you. I'm bringing it to you, altar. Father, I pray for those hands that have been raised, Lord. Father, they just come in, Lord. They, they want work done in the house. Father, we pray that you would work those things out, Lord, by your spirit, Lord. They're coming by faith. And so I'm asking that you would just touch them now, whether it's in their, their marriages, whether it's family relationships, whether it's a job, whether it's eternal conflict, whether it's depression, whether it's anger, whether it's bitterness, whatever it might be in their lives, Lord. I pray right now you begin by your spirit, begin to work inside of them. Because the work is internal to affect our external. You begin to do a good work in us. You transformed us within, you said. And so I pray your blessings upon your people this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.